All right, let's open our Bibles as you have them, or you can read along on the PowerPoint, but I would love it as we, if, you know, it's a great habit to be in the scriptures. Um, I'm actually a really bad sermon audience member. I'll just share this in case somebody's ever preaching, because usually people are talking and I'm just like, oh man, that reminds me of an awesome scripture, I need to look it up, or wow, that point, that would make a great message, and so I start working on the sermon in my head in the midst of there, so I'm off looking at space, and I'm sure it's not a blessing to whoever's, but um, I, I, I believe that God uses preachers to help explain his word for the growth of the church, and that the Spirit's in it, and we're meant to be good listeners and try to, to keep up with what's going on there and understand what people are saying. And some of us make it easier on you and some of us make it harder on you. And I won't say which one I think I am. At the same time, it is a, a spiritual exchange. And so all of a sudden, sometimes something gets said and you're like, I'm done. I just need to, I'm just going into worship mode with the Lord because I, like, it's, we're here to connect with him. And so if all of a sudden he says something through the preacher and you need to just dive into the word and, and, and be reading or meditating or whatever, I'm, God bless you. Like, it's, it's about the Lord Jesus, right? And I'm here to serve him and serve you in this. Anyhow, we're going to be looking at Romans 8, chapter, or chapter, sorry, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And Lord willing, and I very rarely finish a sermon series, so Lord willing, we're going to spend a few weeks just working through this passage Romans 8 is probably the best chapter in the Bible as far as just exploding with praise for the glory of God and all that he has done. And verses 31 through 39 are probably the most exultant, God-enjoying, confident verses in Romans 8. And so... I just want to enjoy the Lord together for a few weeks going through this passage. And my, my invitation for me and for you and for us together is I would love it if we would memorize this passage together. So we're going to read it every time we preach up. We're going to read the whole passage. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. And it does help if we're all going to memorize a passage to memorize the same translation. It just helps. Um, it's a good translation. So this morning, we're just going to be looking at kind of the first half of the first verse. And I don't anticipate going this slow through all the messages, but it's just worth it. So can we get the first slide, please? I want to invite anybody who wants to just to stand as we read this together. Or if you have the scriptures in front of you, you can, you can sit and do it. But I'm going to start us off and let's... Read the word of God together. One, two, three. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, I just thank you deeply for your holy word. Father, these, these words, the scriptures of God, which are the true revelation that in your sovereignty you have given to us as completely dependable communication from you, like nothing else in your creation. And I thank you, Father, that you have shown us the truth of who we are and who you are. And Father, as I desire to serve the truth of these passages, and we want to know the truth and know you, would you do that miracle of granting us real deep understanding through the Holy Spirit, leading to increased faith in Jesus Christ for your glory. Father, do all that's on your heart. For your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to try to accomplish something this morning. I want to just focus on this phrase, if God is for us. And in the scripture, this is one of those ifs that isn't an if. It's an if that isn't is. Okay, when, when Paul says, when the Spirit writes, if God is for us, it's not like, a, wow, yeah, that's a big if, I wonder. It's like, well, well you know, if this afternoon it's plus 20 um, outside and nice, then we'll have a picnic. And you're thinking, it's not going to be plus 20. It, it's November, late November in the prairies. That's some if, but it's a dumb if, because it's not going to happen. Or if I win the lottery, which could happen, but it's against the odds. This isn't one of those ifs. This is an if that isn't is. So you could say, because. What shall we say to all of these things? Because God is for us, who can be against us? That's the idea of it. It's not, it's not a wondering if, it's a, because this is true if. Then, who can be against us? Question, answer, nobody. But I want to just focus on the God is for us part, because this is one of these truths, this is one of these convictions that changes everything for a human soul. If you, through the grace of Christ, come to believe that God is truly for you, that changes everything. And if we go through life either convinced that he is not or wondering whether he is, that will impact everything. Whether the God of heaven who is in control of everything and is the judge of everything, if he is for you, 
that is one of the most controlling thoughts of your life. But if you fear he is against you, or wonder that he might not be for you, that changes everything. And the reality is, Christian, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you have abandoned yourself in faith to him, then God is for you. That's the reality. And I want to start off this message by just talking about how amazing it is that God would be for anyone. And, and this is me trying to tackle that sentence, what then shall we t- say to these things? I want to get back to the, these things, because we haven't talked about these things yet. We've got like seven and a half chapters of these things that Paul is saying, having looked at these things, we need to be convinced that God is for us. And I want to go back and say, it is truly amazing that the God of the universe would be for us, and indeed he is. Okay, so this is what I want to do. I want to mention three reasons why it is amazing that God would be forced because he has every right not to be. Okay, that's what we're going to do first. Three reasons it is amazing that God would be for anybody, but particularly us specifically, because he's every reason not to be. And how he has proven that he is for us and does not deserve to be doubted that he is for us. Okay, that's, that's part two. And I've got about 23 minutes, which I scoff at and laugh at, haha. Three reasons why it is utterly amazing that God is for us, and three ways he has proven that he is for us. Reason number one, that it is amazing that God is for us, is that human beings don't want him. human beings left on our own to ourselves, we don't want God. Paul, beginning his letter in verse 18 of chapter 1, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We don't want to know the truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The scripture says this is human history. Everything anybody needs to know who God is, is on display every morning. When the sun rises and you wake up, and the fact that there is this amazing world out there that is intricate and complicated, but functional and really beautiful, and the fact that we as people, so intricate and complicated and functional and beautiful, especially my wife, are able to appreciate it and think about it and wonder where this all came from, we have every reason to think something made this. And whoever it was, they deserve my praise because this is amazing. But the history of humanity has been that we would rather pick something made and say that that is great 
because deep down we don't want to know him. After the fall, after sin entered the world, the one thing we as human beings will not do is say, there is one true God and he deserves my trust. We, we pick things. Sometimes people pick fish. Sometimes people pick, pick oxen. Um, some, often we just pick people. And this is really true. So I'm a bit of a nerd. And uh, I, I've been studying this book on the history of uh, philosophy. Yeah, I just lost half of you right there. And the weirdest thing is, is that Greek philosophy, which started like 600 years before Jesus was born, it, it came out of this culture where their religion was find something and call it God. So there's a sun God, there's a moon God, there's a God of wine, there's a God of marriage, there's a God of everything has a God. And all these gods are pretty weak and lame. Okay? None of these gods are even much stronger than, than strong people whether it's a Zeus or a Jupiter or a Poseidon or a Hades or whatever, they're not that strong. They, they just kind of walk around and do tricks. And the philosophers were, were just thinking to themselves, this is dumb. And so they're like, let's figure out how the world really works. And what they did was they'd say, well, the world is all just water, or the world is all just air, or the world is all just thought, or the world is all just something else. And they still picked something God made and said, that is God. The world is all reason which has kind of gripped some scientifically-minded people. The world is just thought. The world is just matter. The world is just... And it's all dumb. But the Bible explains history to us. This is human nature. If you will not worship the true God and give thanks to Him, you will pick something He made and you will say that is God. Because deep down, we don't want Him. So it's amazing that the God who made us and has been rejected by us would bring about a situation where He is for us. Point number two, why it's amazing that God is for us, is demonstrated by the history of the Jewish people. In chapter two, God addresses the Jewish people because in in the church of Rome, they were a big mix of Gentiles and Jewish people together worshiping Christ. Rome had a humongous Jewish population and they were having a hard time living together because the Jewish people at the time had major dietary and social restrictions trying to keep them from contact with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were a bunch of pagan idol worshipers. And then a bunch of them come together and say, actually, we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. And they're having the hardest time figuring out how to live together. And so Paul is writing to both of them. And in the beginning of his letter, he's trying to show both of them how they really need Jesus. And part of what he does is he starts addressing the Jewish community and he and he he addresses them as a bunch of people who have true knowledge of God through the scriptures, through the law, but even as they boasted in that, they couldn't live up to it. And so he says to them, this is chapter 2, verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law, for it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
Reason number two why it's amazing that God would have a people that he is completely for is that as he tends to reveal himself truly to people through acts in history and through scriptures, they tend to become more proud than humble and don't even live up to what they know. Reason number two why it's amazing that God would be for anybody is that as God truly reveals himself to people and picks people in history and says, even though you're an idolater by nature, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'll give you Moses. I'll give you the word. We tend to become more proud than humble and hypocritical by not living up to what we even say other people should do. Anybody ever notice that? And it happens in Christian circles as well, right? Where we're Christians because we grew up in church. We're Christians because we call ourselves Christians. And we're happy to blame the world for all the bad things that they do. But then we turn around and kind of notice that we do the same thing, maybe a little bit different. But it doesn't matter because we're Christians and we read our Bibles and that's okay and everything. And it's, it's about badges. I've got the badges, so I'm right with God. I, I, I show up to church on Sunday, so I'm right with God. And it's just natural for us to have kind of pride and hypocrisy. Even when God does reveal himself. Reason number three why it's amazing that God is for us and chooses a people to be completely for is that even born-again Christians who really are saved and really are in relationship with God still want to and do sin. So later on in the book, when Paul is talking about how, how Christians, even though we're forgiven all of our sins by grace, um, are, still need to reject sin and not just be okay with it, even though we're forgiven, Paul talks about the life of a Christian and how we, we even though we, we, we have begun to love God and do love God and we have begun to believe and do believe, there's still a part of us called the flesh, or the old man, sometimes translated as a sinful nature, that still doesn't want to totally trust or totally submit and still is very tempted to sin and still wants to and still does. And so Paul writes like this, he says in chapter 7, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. For if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, saying that I, I, I do agree that God's ways are right. So now it is no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do not do what I want, sorry, but if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin who dwells in me. So I find this law at work. When I want to do right, evil is close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What's he saying? Let me just summarize it by saying this. Real, true Christian, do you sometimes want to sin? Even though it is like a betrayal of God. Real, true Christian, do you sometimes sin? Still, 
even though you know the truth and you've been bought by the blood and you worship God, I believe truly and sincerely. So if we are the people of God and we still reject him by choosing sin, isn't it amazing that God is for us? These three reasons. Without God, we will, we will worship anything but him. Even with revelation of God, we will choose to be proud and hypocritical and acknowledge our need. And even when we're walking closely with God, we know in our heart of hearts, we still sometimes want to turn away from him to sin and still sometimes do it. God has every reason and every right not to be for us. Can we just admit that together as an act of worship? Don't let me discourage you. So let's talk about three ways that God has proven that he is for us. So that we should just believe him in every circumstance and rejoice in it, fight with this truth that God really is for us. Us together as the church in the world, us together as Calvary Chapel, and us together as individual believers in Christ. Because I sometimes say this is the most important thing in the world, and I've told you, when I say that, I mean there is a whole club of things that are the most important thing in the world, and I am happy to call any one of them the most important thing in the world, and they're all the most important thing in the world, each one of them. Just like how you can tell your kids, if you know, when you're doing happy, you're my favorite one. And you can tell each one of them, you're my favorite one. And they all together are your favorite one. And don't fight about it. I'm watching you too. One of, if not the most important thing in your life, is the, is the conviction that in Jesus Christ, God is for you completely. How has he proven it? Number one. Chapter 3, verse 21. Having proven that the Gentiles are not righteous before God because they always revert back to idolatry, and end up approving sin and claiming that their sin against God is actually wisdom and goodness. I was watching an interview the other day, and the interviewer was um, an individual who's an Oxford teacher, one of the great universities of the world. And she told the other person that she thought that the right to have an abortion was the greatest right she had that proved she was a true human being. So that if it were ever taken away from her, she would, she would consider it an attack on herself as a person and as a woman that she would not have the right to be able to end the life of one of her own children. So here's an Oxford teacher thinking that the greatest wisdom is actually a world upside down. God has tons of grace. If you know somebody who has done this, or you are somebody who has done this, God has tons of grace, and he can be 100% for you through Jesus Christ. He can forgive you. He can, he can heal you of any guilt or shame or pain that you have, and he can make you a treasured daughter or son of God. But it is very clear to anybody to see it that the wisdom of the West is actually creation upside down. If you take the way the world is meant to be, and you turned it upside down, that is what we think is the best right now. 
Paul proves that the Gentiles are not right with God and deserve to, and are under his wrath because of this. He proves that even the Jewish people, though they have the knowledge of God, are not right with him because of indwelling sin and pride instead of humility. And then he explains what God has done to begun, be, begin to fix this problem. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested or has been put on display in history apart from the law. So apart from having to keep the law of God, there is a way to be righteous with God, although the law and the prophets bear witness about it, meaning that God has told us in Moses and in all of the prophets that he was going to do something like this. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified Let's triple underline this part by his grace as a gift. See the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a sacrifice by his blood that makes peace to be received by faith. Reason number one that we can trust that God is 100% for us is that he himself in Jesus took it upon himself to fix this problem and fixed it deeply and completely through the sacrifice of his son and gives it to us freely through faith as a gift. Freely through faith. And faith is the easiest way to be given anything. Will you believe that I'm going to give this thing to you? Yes, I believe. Okay, it's yours. That is the least amount of cost that anything can have. And God gives it to you as a free gift by faith. Okay? He transforms us from being his enemies who don't like him and don't want him and deserve to be rejected by him and punished forever by him. He transforms us through the death and resurrection of his son into people loved and accepted by him by a free gift. It starts off with him being for people that aren't for him. So why would he start putting tabs on it midway through. It's a free gift. The entire righteousness of God, everything that he can give you that makes it you right with him, that makes him happy with you, that makes your future with him assured, he gives it as a free gift through faith in his son. He just gives it. He just gives it. Will you trust my son? It's yours. Will you look to my son? It's yours. Will you believe in my son? It's yours for free, for free, for free, for free, for free. This was not, this did not accomplish anything in our relationship with God other than to free us a little bit more and to bless us with an opportunity for God to bless us back by us submitting to him. But everything we gave him was his already, even the pictures. It was already his. And every good thing that will ever come to us is a free gift through Jesus because we believe in him. Amen? So our biggest problem 
that you could ever have, which would be having God be rejecting you, is solved by God himself as a free gift. Because, you know, we, have, we don't have any problem trying to find things that we think are the biggest problem. Have you ever noticed that? It's either the environment or the economy or the weather or your spouse or your kids or your parents or your health or, or Christians. You know, we don't have any problem deciding what the biggest problem is. You know what the biggest problem is for every person? The wrath of God being against you because of sin. That's, that's the biggest problem in the world. And guess what's the one problem none of us want to look at? Exactly. Exactly. But God solves the problem through Jesus Christ. I've got to keep going. Sorry, my headset's doing a little Brittany number on my head here, but I'm going to be okay. Reason number two, sorry, the second way that God has proven to us that he is for us so that we should just believe it and rejoice in it and uh, fight the fight of faith in it is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is intentional. We can believe that the Father is for us because he has given us his Son. Second reason, we can believe that God is for us because he's given us his Spirit. Now, I said my third point of why it's amazing that God is for us is because even as Christians, in our hearts, we can be tempted to sin and we can sin, which, which is a turning away from this God who is for us. But God provides that solution, the solution to that problem himself by the gift of the Spirit. And so in Romans chapter 8, excuse me, verse 12, Paul talking about how God changes things from us just being stuck sinning and, uh, and agreeing that God's ways are right, but not being able to change because of indwelling sin in us. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, not to that impulse to sin, not to that temptation to turn away from God and to try to find hope and satisfaction in life and something besides the Lord Jesus. We're not debtors to the flesh to to feel like we have to do what it says anymore to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit. Notice that word receive. How do you get a gift? You receive it. You did not. It doesn't say you pay. You you did not pay for a spirit of... you, you You receive it. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So if one of the problems in the world of believing that God is for us, is that we keep on sinning, it is amazing that God's solution is to give you more God. Amen? It's like, God, I keep sinning against you. I'm clicking on the things, and I'm angry, and I'm swearing, which isn't the worst, but it's up there. And I'm doing this stuff, and I'm fighting with people, and I'm offended all the time. And God's looking at this saying, all these behaviors reject me. You need more of me. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to put my spirit in you. And this is one of the, I can't even, you know, the, oh, the incarnation is crazy. That the God of the universe became a baby and then was born. That's, the indwelling of the spirit is crazy too. Because the way it works is that the Father and the Son, the eternal gods, they, they have their own spirit. I don't know how this works, and you don't either, but it's true. And it's like the Father 
has his own spirit. <laughs> I don't even... And he's able, the Father and the Son, they are able to send this spirit who is himself a person that can be talked to and can listen, who can speak, who has feelings and thoughts and intentions and a will and can be interacted with. His spirit is so full of God that it is, in fact, God himself. And it can come and live in you and change you from the inside out to be more like God. The mob should be trying to light us on fire for this preached reality alone. Oh, yeah, no, no, the the one true God of the universe, yeah, his home. He gets his mail sent right, right here. With the purpose of defeating that stuff inside of us that turns away from believing that God is for us because we want to sin and sometimes do. For the purpose of defeating the sin in us by transforming us into Christ. And how he does it is he comes inside of us and he compels us from the inside out to say to God, Abba Father. By naming him with the name that most names God as being for us. You're my dad, my Abba. Amen? You see how this is all working together? The God who we want to reject saves us by the blood of Jesus Christ and raises Jesus from the dead and puts him on a throne and says, pray now for this people, seeing that we are not completely rescued yet because he has not returned and given us resurrected body. And in his wisdom, knowing that we still are inclined to unbelief and inclined to turn away, inclined to trust ourselves, inclined to worship one another, puts his own spirit inside of us and says, spirit, you convince them from the inside out that I am their dad now and I am for them so that they can overcome these things. That's a good reason to think that God is for you. Is it just me? Maybe not. You can talk about it over coffee this afternoon. Reason number three, that God has proven that he's for us, is that these things that he has done for us, sending Jesus Christ to really suffer, everybody who's been physically hurting, just remember the wounds of Christ and his, his unjust torture for us. In the sending of the Spirit on Pentecost, his motivation for doing these things is pure love. Romans 5, chapter 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You hear that again? Died for the ungodly. Died for the unworthy. Died for the people who were convinced that God was not for them. Died for the idolaters. Died for, <sighs> died for the gays. Died for the ab- abortionists died for the white supremacists, died for the, the Arabs, died for the, the white men, died for, the, died for them all, the ungodly. At the right time, Christ died for them. Whoever we despise, we need to know that Christ died for them too. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Exactly, right? Like somebody might die for a hero, but who dies for, for the worst people? Although perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Reason number three, that we have every right to be convinced that God has proven that he is for us, is that in sending the Son, 
And in giving us the Spirit, He is 100% motivated by love for us. Guys, all the incomprehensible love of God. That everything for us would be that he, He chose. Because no one can make Him do anything He doesn't want. That He would choose to love us. And to decide this love is going to be a love that holds nothing back. And the love of God is just incomprehensible. Paul's going to throw around words like election and foreknowledge and this. And one of the amazing things about being a Christian that hurts your head, and I know Christians argue about it, I don't think that they necessarily should, is that if God loves you in Jesus, meaning you've come to faith in Jesus truly and are in the love of the Father, there is a sense in which he has always loved you. The Father from eternity past foreknew all that he would do through Jesus Christ and decided that he wanted to give a gift to his Son to display his glory by preparing for him a bride to rescue and save and cleanse who would be with him forever as his wife and lover and worshiper and friend. And that this love was figured out before the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was defiled. So in one weird sense, even though for years I knew nothing about Christ and didn't like the God I was hearing about in Christianity, God had a book called The Days of the Life of Robert Balfour. And he knew there would be a day when he would win me for himself. And even though I was his enemy, he still in his secret counsel and secret heart loved me. And you too. History matters. Days we come to faith do change things. But it is also true in the, in the knowledge of God that he's always loved you. He's always known he was going to make you. He's always known he was going to save you. He's always loved you. He knew, that, he knew that in your life you would need Jesus to pray for you, for you to endure in your faith. He knew in your life the Spirit was going to need to move to convict you and to open your eyes to see the beauty of God. But it's all love. It's one of the mysteries of the Bible. And now every, everything that happens to us, he says, is now for our good. Because it's all love. And even though it's so crazy, this might be the last like named Sunday we ever do, <laughs> where we tell people beforehand, because it sometimes seems like the enemy goes, oh, they're going to have a named Sunday, like Big Give Sunday, or um, you know, Humble Sunday, or whatever. Let's make life as hard on them as possible before this happens. And it's kind of like, maybe I shouldn't have drawn a big uh, bullseye on the church. <laughs> we can just surprise everybody, just, you know, spy games, you know, just... Keep a secret for once, Rob. And um, But the scriptures do say that when now that you're in Jesus, 
now that the God who rules over everything calls you son or daughter, now that he is 100% for you in every way, in every situation, everything is working for your good because you love Jesus and have been called according to his purpose. And that is one of those everything, everythings. Because if, if, you, if you read the Bible really closely, there are many times you're just like, how in the world did God ever pull that off? Abraham's going up one side of the mountain, the goat's going up the other. Oh, that oh, just happens to get his horn stuck in those, those bushes. It's all that just happens to all the, all the coincidences. And we're supposed to hear those little stories and, and remember, my God is doing that all the time through everything. Every, everything, 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 everything in the universe exists to glorify Jesus Christ by displaying his power and his grace in his people. Everything, 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 everything. Everything, 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 everything exists to glorify our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his father, my dad, and the spirit in me, and us as his people. Everything exists to show off God's power and show off his wisdom and show off his might. And everything is ours in Christ. Everything, everything comes to us from a God who is for us. And I know I'm not going to believe this Monday morning, like most of us as well. But I don't care. It's, it's sermon time. This is truth out of the pulpit. That's how it works. You're supposed to tell the truth, and the feelings come and disagree with you later. And sometimes you regret it because it feels like you put a bullseye on your forehead. But even those feelings work towards good for me in Christ. Why? Why does everything work for our good? I want to hear from somebody. This is the point of this message. Because God is for us. Until we see him face to face at our death or his return, everything comes to us in the presence of a God who is for us in every way. He's for you to overcome your sin. He's for you to grow in Christ. He's for you to overcome fear. He's for you to either be healed or endure in the midst of it until it accomplishes goal. If he's for us as we desire to spread the gospel, he's for us as we want to see the lost come in. He's for us as we continue to pray for lost family members. He's for us as we read the Bible to know him better. He's for us as we want to grow in prayer. He's for us as we're parenting and pulling our hair out. He's for us as we're in our loneliness or in our singlehood but we didn't ever ask for it. He's for us. He's for us for our good and he's proved it in Christ and the spirit in every way. Amen? Great. Now's a great time. Maybe the band can come up and begin to get ready to pray, but this is Big Give Sunday and I just want to let you know it's a trap. It was a trap. It is a trap. Calvary Chapel is a fully functional battle station. Thank you. Because the reality is, as I began to work on this message, it really wasn't about our finances. It really wasn't about our praise. Today, the big give is everything you are. Everything. And I want to invite you to just stand in the presence of this God through who his slain son 
and his sent out spirit has said, I am 100% for you for all of eternity. And I, we're just going to stand and say, I give myself to you. All my, all my brain, all my heart, all my body, all my days until I see you. And I need you to help me stay faithful. But I give myself to you today. Amen? Amen. So, Father, here we are, your people. Father, I have done my best to share your word. And even that wasn't adequate, but you'll do it. And, Father, you have shown us in your word, this word I praise, that every single one of us can say, this I know, that God is for me. So, Lord, for every willing heart, standing, sitting, whatever, We give ourselves to you. Father, I give myself to you. And you know that in life, I'm going to want to hold back to protect myself. I'm going to get distracted. But I want you to act like I've given myself to you. The reality is you bought me in Christ. You bought my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul, my heart, my mouth, my eyes. You bought it all in Christ. And I say amen. Amen. 